Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Charles. And this is The Parallax Review. Welcome to episode two of the Parallax Review. What movie did we watch this week, Charlie? Uh, we watched Blood Simple. Blood Simple, directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Cobros. Came out in, yeah, the Cobros, as they're widely recognized the as. The Conus brothers. Yes, correct. There are actually three of them. Um, anyway, Blood Simple came out in 1985. No, it didn't. I wrote that wrong. It came out in 1984. I don't want to hear you click clacking during this. People like to know that we use computers just like the rest of society. I Yeah, but they don't want to hear you click clacking. But they do because it, it really it helps set the scene, okay? I don't know about you, but whenever I'm listening to a podcast, I just assume they're in a black void. Okay, well, we're not all in David Lynch movies. So anyway, Blood Simple, who did you write down who stars in it? Sure. Uh, we got John Getz, a.k.a. Uh, budget Harrison Ford as Ray. Oh. We've got Francis McDormand. As Abby, mm-hmm. who is also wife of Joel Cobro. Yes. Uh, we've got Dan Hedaya as mm-hmm. Julian Marty, f- freaky guy, scary guy. We've got M. Emmett Walsh as Lauren Visser. Sam Art Williams as Maurice. Yes. Why do they spell his name with an, an E? Did you see that? Maurice. Yeah, what the fuck is that? That's not real. Nobody spells their name Maurice. I don't know. Why Why not? Probably they do. <sighs> Whatever. Let's get into this. <laughs> so, Charlie, what did you think about Blood Simple? It's a broad question. Okay, initial reactions. Don't give me your star rating. Just give me, like, just tell me what you thought of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah, it's great. I liked it a lot. It's yeah. fun. Or maybe not fun, mm. but tense. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Um, yeah, I liked it, but when it ended, I was like, oh, that was so sudden. But I was also like, my God, I was like anxious and yelling at the screen the entire time. So I was kind of glad it was over, but I liked it a lot. Like it was, it's just a really tight, well-made film i think yeah the um, plot was good it was an interesting storyline just getting to see the different characters interact with the like happenings and seeing whatever they took from everything they encountered and them having their own version of what was going on yeah and then none of those connecting with each other like yeah them having their own siloed experiences that changed their narrative of what was happening yeah i think i think that might be like a cohen brothers thing but it was done really Who? well cohen cobros conus brothers nope i'm retired i'm not getting caught in this trap well i'm not calling them that i really really liked that aspect 
But I feel like I have a lot to say about that overall sort of plot mechanism as we get into our categories. So let's get into our categories. Yeah. I guess first we'd like to talk about the audience for this film um, and who we thought it was. And I'll just say, I just it just seemed like a general audience film. It seemed like anybody could go see it. I guess people who are more likely to go to thrillers. Yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't call this a general audience film. Obviously, it would be for Coen Brothers fans, but this was their first movie. So, like, you kind of go in and you don't know what to expect. But I don't think it's general audience. It's very sort of hot and ugly and dirty and there isn't really a main character. None of the characters are like super likable. And there's a lot of blood and violence. But I think it definitely would pull in people that are into like your classic film noir or neo noirs um, or crime thrillers. Well, I mean, I would argue that film noir was for general audiences. So, I mean, it seems similar to me. It doesn't seem like somebody would see a trailer for this movie and be like, this looks too artsy and weird for me. Mm, It doesn't have to be artsy and weird. I just think it's not for everybody. It just seems a little too gritty. And I could also see some people seeing it as slow. Who do you think it's for then? Like I said, people that like crime thrillers, people that like noir movies, and people that, speaking from today's people, people that are already Coen Brothers fans. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like we run the risk of going too deep into audience things when we're like, well, people who like this would like thrillers, or people who like Marvel movies would like superhero movies. But like, those are general audience movies, right? I think you're using the term general audience too broadly, but I don't want to dwell on this for too long. So let's just not. Okay, so last night you asked me, did you ever find out why this movie is called Blood Simple? And I was like, yeah, how did you not? Because it's right on the Wikipedia page, but that's fine. So let me (laughs) quote you the thing that you should have read immediately after Googling Blood Simple. And I quote, The film's title derives from the Dashiell Hammett novel Red Harvest, written in 1929, in which the term blood simple describes the addled, fearful mindset of people after prolonged immersion in violent situations. Which makes total sense when you think about specifically what Ray's character and his whole uh, murder snafu which was just a total nightmare, but he absolutely was uh, blood simple the next day and during. Sure. That makes sense, I guess. Yeah. I I really like that. But, But also, while watching the movie, I didn't know what it meant. But you hear at least Visser's character say simple at least twice. He calls people simple. Well, he just called the police simple. I don't think that had anything to do with the title. No. He said, I thought you were going to call simple on me. Wait, oh, he was calling that the police. That's what it sounded like. Oh, I don't, okay. I don't, I mean, unless he was talking about somebody else. I would have to watch that scene again because now I don't remember the exact thing he says. But I think the word simple is used twice. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, somebody might say blood simple. (laughs) Um, so I was just listening for that, but then... Yeah, we need to go back. 
to the time when people would say the name of the movie in the movie and it would be a really key scene where they like look at you know look cool and they're like movie name (coughs) yeah uh i personally can't even think of one movie right now that does that pretty much every movie no i will give you five (laughs) fucking dollars if you name one movie that does that right now don't you remember in um What's that dark Tom Cruise movie? Risky Business. Yeah, when he looks at the camera and he takes off his sunglasses and he goes, I guess this is just Risky Business. Okay, no, 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 no. No, that is not what he says and everybody knows. I think it's in actually all the top, like... The, the Tom Cruise movies, like Top Gun. He says, I'm the Top Gun? Yeah, he's... No. He, why would he say, I'm the Top Gun? I've never seen that movie, so I he don't know what like the a, fuck he would flying, say. He's flying, and he does a, like a full, you know, loop-de-loop in the air, and he yeah. gets down, and he goes, Top Gun! Oh, okay, yeah. Uh-huh. And then he Famous looks scene. at the camera. Okay. So, $5. Um... I'm going to have to uh, watch both of those movies in order to check your work, which I'm almost positive is wrong. We'll put that in the show notes. And we'll put that in the show notes because I guarantee you neither of those are true. Moving along, um, what did you think of the recurrence of the Four Tops song, It's the Same Old Song? Oh, okay. So in the movie, or... I should say, while I was watching the movie, I didn't think of it consciously. I was like, okay, they keep repeating this song and they repeat the theme song. And I like both. But I wasn't really thinking about the lyrics until maybe, I think it plays like three times. I feel like I started thinking about the lyrics like the last time it played. And I was like, there's something about repetition here. And that's all. I think it may have played only twice i think it plays when we yes. are introduced to maurice 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 mm-hmm. and then when maurice comes while um ray is trying to cover up the murder yeah i think that might be it i thought it played one more time but what did you think about it i i don't know honestly i i, I guess i thought it was just interesting that it was in there and i was wondering if it had any meaning at all who knows i don't know if it's meaningful in that you're supposed to take the lyrics so literally the repetition of it sort of acts as a a symbol or a sign in the movie that i'm probably not able to fully grasp but there's something about the repetition of it and it being like the only pop song in the movie well i read that on the vhs they had to replace it with a different song because yeah. of copyright. So it couldn't have been that important. If you didn't have any ideas about it, I imagine it's just... It is important. I mean, it gets brought up a lot. In I was reading about this movie and different people's reviews and analysis, and it gets brought up in basically everyone's review. I think there there is clearly some sort of significance to it. To me, it almost feels as though the lyrics going, it's the same old song... To me, it feels like almost these things were sort of written in stone or faded. So I was kind of thinking about some of the very few Conus Brothers movies I've seen and how they they seem to revolve around some kind of 
wrongdoing or something like for for example um barton fink is it kind of revolves around him being this windbag guy who's like if i remember correctly he's just mm-hmm. like they never treat poor and working people right and yeah in film or whatever yeah right? like art and plays and yeah, yeah and and he's he doesn't actually care about poor and working people he's just his vice or whatever is just like acting like he's superior like he has a vague interest in the plight of the working people or his idea of it and that sort of interest is enough to elevate him above other people sure i guess when i was thinking of the same old song thing the only connection i could make was that when greed lust or you know uh something like that is involved Mm -hmm. it's always gonna end up in a bad way sort of and that's the same old song that sort of connects with my idea of like this is faded i think that's what i meant faded faded like f-a-t-e oh faded like i'm faded Like, faint. Got it. As soon as the movie starts, it has an ominous feeling with the droning, repetitive noise of the windshield wipers. You can barely understand what the characters are saying, but you get enough to know that, one, Ray is not a marriage counselor, and two, that he likes Abby, and then they go have sex. And so it starts with this affair and you just know that it's all going to end badly because what movie begins with an affair and ends like in all parties being happy? So maybe you're right. Like maybe that's the connection and that's what I meant by fate or faded. And that's the song kind of presses you to think about, okay, this is typical or this is... This is bound to happen because this kind of stuff always happens when there's greed and lust and whatever. You're wrong, though. Okay. The Notebook. The Notebook? The Notebook has an affair and they live happily ever after. The Notebook. Was that the one with- With Ryan Gosling? Where they die at the end? Yeah, but it's like a, oh, happy die. Do they end up together? Yeah. Do they get married? Yeah. They do? Uh, I guess. Are you sure? They end up together. They stay together forever until they die. Oh, God. What? But, but okay, the point being, there's a <laughs> lot of turmoil in the middle of that, right? And that's the movie. The interesting part of the movie is all the fucking turmoil that the affair and their love causes, correct? Like, yeah. What movie is about an affair I and isn't so. like... This is crazy. <laughs> I don't know. I bet there is one, though. <laughs> ah, whatever. Anyway, I feel like we came full circle. Sure. So you mentioned Visser's opening monologue. Yeah. And I have some notes on that. He references Russia like twice. But in the opening monologue, yes, he mentions Russia and then contrasts it with Texas and says... In Texas, you're on your own. I think I have the, the quote here. Okay. He says, in Russia, they got it mapped out, so everyone pulled... Well, that's not his voice at all. He's more like... It's almost like he's dying. He's like... Ooh. You know not. I'm not trying to make anything deep of that. I'm just saying that's his voice. Okay, we'll do the voice. Like, 
In Russia. Okay, <laughs> that was not his fucking He says, voice. in Russia, they got it all mapped out, so everyone pulls for everyone else. That's the theory, anyway. In Texas, you're on your own. Something like that. I don't think I had the full ending of it. Yeah. When that came on, I was like, well, that sounds weird. Like, I was like, I don't know about that. But if you buy into the construction of the movie, and this movie is very much a construction... Obviously, it's a movie. I think that whole you're on your own thing plays out perfectly in the film. That quote is the perfect precursor to this film. Visser is clearly on his own after he devises his plan to steal Marty's money and double cross like everyone, aka take the money and run. So he's alone. Ray is alone in his knowledge, even though it's wrong knowledge about how marty died who killed him where the film was frustrating was that he never gets to talk to abby exactly about what happened what he thought happened and what he did yeah because he's a giant baby man he is he's a big coward and we'll probably get into that but he definitely gets blood simple and he is very alone abby has her own version of loneliness because she has no fucking idea what's going on the entire movie. She's alone, like, visually in that cavernous apartment with the beautiful windows that she lives in. It's way too big and has no furniture. And then when when the movie ends, she is truly alone And she's alone sort of in like a full circle way because in the beginning of the movie, Ray is actually just driving her to leave her husband, Marty, to move to Houston alone and just start over. So that's where she wanted to be in the beginning of the film, but she went this sort of awful way to get there. But she does end up where she wants to be, where she wanted to be, which is alone. And then Maurice, Maurice... He is alone, clearly in his music taste, because it's not country, and clearly in his isolation as a black person in this like very white, very southern Texas town. And I thought that was interesting, because this, this movie does feel very isolated. That aloneness is also essentially like everyone's trying to survive on their own, but all of them are basically unable to help each other or unwilling. Yeah, kind of more unwilling, it seemed like. Yeah, so... At least for most of them. Ray was too much of a big baby man to, like, ever talk straight with Abby. Marty was just kind of a monster person that wanted to do away with his troubles instead of confronting them. Mm -hmm. And yeah, like you said... Visser was just doing jobs, doing, you know, hitman work on his own. Like, his whole yeah, thing was being a job. Alone. Yeah. If you want to argue that there is a main character in this movie, which I don't think there is, um, you could argue that it's the one person that survives the film, um, which is Frances McDormand as Abby. And I thought her character was interesting because she is also not likable. But she is essentially like a stereotypical final girl, like in basically every 80s horror movie. And she's kind of hard to define 
because she is constantly defined by the men in her life. Like, I thought it was interesting that we don't know much about her, but what we do learn is, like, Marty says, oh, you know, she's she's going to be cheating around on you, you know, in a couple days and you'll be shocked or whatever when he's talking to Ray at the beginning of the movie. And then Ray, because he's a loser, doesn't opt to talk to Abby, but just assumes that she's always talking to other men. Like he takes Marty's word for defining Abby. Um, And so the little glimpses we get of Abby is she's just kind of naive. She's young and she's, for whatever reason, she's married to this guy that she doesn't even like who's a terrible person and then she's just like well I'm gonna I don't like this but I'm gonna jump into the arms of this other guy that I probably don't care about really but it's working for now and that's essentially all we know about her and I as basically the only woman in the film that was interesting but she is also cool because she fucking survives and none of the men do yeah and she stabs that dude in the hand that was pretty dope. That was amazing. <laughs> I wanted that dude to get stabbed in the hand so bad. Ugh. <laughs> um, yeah, pretty low on the rep- representation front. I mean, I felt like Maurice was kind of like super stereotypical, hmm. kind of a token character. I don't know. I, I just felt like he was just thrown in there. I, I wanted more of Maurice. Uh, like, I thought he might have had a little more... Of a role? Yeah. In the overall narrative? Like, he was a nice dude, um, but yeah. he was also, uh, a, you know, every man for himself. He came to confront Ray and give him shit about stealing money, but he was still friendly yeah. for the most part about it. You... I, I like Maurice. I, I thought he was a good character because his involvement in the film makes sense because it seems as though his M.O. is to sort of keep his head down and do what he needs to do to get his, get his, essentially. Like, he's making money working for Marty, who's a shitty person, shitty boss, and racist. But but Maurice is like, well, you know what? He sucks, but he's good at owning this business. I'm going to work for him so I can have money, have girls over, and I'm going to play my my four top songs whenever I want. Oh, yeah. Wasn't wasn't he, like, having sex with somebody in the bar or something? Yeah, I think he's, like, a ladies' man. Yeah. As he should be. But, yeah, I liked his character. And so it made sense that he wasn't really part of the whole, like, weird love triangle slash hitman narrative because that's what he does. He stays out of the way so that he can survive, which is... You know, that every man for yourself narrative. But I liked him. Yeah. I, I mean, he. I felt like he was generally helpful, right? And like... I mean, I think he's neutral. He's just a dude. I did, But I didn't think he was represented poorly, I guess. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So this movie is definitely self-aware. Um, I think from the opening monologue from Visser, he asks you to buy into the construction that the Coen brothers have made. So in a salon.com article that I will link in the show notes, it basically talks about how the Coens are sort of often constructing 
a narrative or a world that is just slightly outside of the realm of reality, but is still believable. And I think they ask you to participate or to believe in that construction often throughout their movies. And in this movie, so there's the opening monologue by Visser that we've already discussed, but also the fact that we as the audience are privy to a bunch of details that the characters themselves are not privy to, and we can sort of see the machinations of how how wildly wrong everybody is and how all of that wrongness is going to create such chaos and more pain for everyone. I, I like that they sort of let us feel like we are two steps ahead of the characters at all times. And there are so many coincidences and accidents and just specific, specific callbacks that it would be insane if they were just like, no, we just wanted to create this movie about a slice of life, southern Texas town where there's a love triangle and a hitman. They're definitely asking you to buy into this wild story because that makes it more fun. What do you mean, though, buy into it? Isn't that what all movies kind of ask for you? No, I think some movies try very hard to be as close to reality or to make the viewer sort of forget that they are watching something constructed. And I think that's why it is pretty annoying when people attribute real world violence to violence in film or whatever because while there could be some sort of correlation between in taking a lot of violent things you're very aware at least in this movie that all of this stuff is just made up to entertain like it is a world that you have just stepped into willingly kind of like when we saw what sleep no more in new york you know it's a construction you know like none of the stuff is real everyone is actors but you're still buying into the the vibe and the world that has been created and you're taking that in as entertainment and it's impactful in that way why do you think anyone would come into this movie and have a different experience than other thrillers i guess i guess i don't get it <laughs> that's fair i i mean i i feel like i came in, i watched the movie and i didn't feel that at all i didn't feel like oh I'm like a guy watching a movie and I'm just along for the ride. I just feel like I, I would feel in any movie, to be honest. Maybe they they were like kind of handing that to me and I just missed it. Sometimes, like for example, Joker. If you have people that are like, okay, I'm going to the movie, it's a movie, then why even have all of this stupid hullabaloo about this violent movie is going to incite people to real world violence or another example spike lee's do the right thing was literally criticized by multiple people 
for inciting riots, which did not happen, by the way, but people literally said that the movie was meant to incite riots. And so what I'm saying is the Coen brothers are not interested in hiding or minimizing the fact that they want you to buy into this sort of visual game that they've created or world. Whereas maybe other movies are just trying to be like, let's step into this other reality story or whatever, and let's get pulled in. I, I don't know. I don't. I'm, I know I'm not describing it well. But <laughs> With the examples, I just don't see the difference between. You don't see the difference. But why would people even say that? Like, why would people be like this movie is going to incite real world violence? What I'm saying is it's a movie just like any other. Yeah. So we're asking, is this movie self-aware? And I'm saying Yes, it is, and these are the ways that it is self-aware. That it knows it's a movie? That it's clearly indicating, like, hey, I'm going to take you on a ride now. Why do we ask, is this movie self-aware? Uh, I don't know. Because Various reasons. I was thinking, like, the Joker we didn't think was self-aware because the guy seemed to just be, like, cobbling various zeitgeisty things together. Motifs together, yeah. Yeah. So what I'm saying is this movie is self-aware and I'm trying to outline the ways in which the Coen brothers have made that clear in the narrative and in the dialogue. Okay, so you're saying like you were saying with um, Emmett or what's his name? Visser's, you're saying with like Visser's setup, he's like, yo, this is about people having to fend for themselves. That was kind of like a clear, clear enough setup To let you know that, hey, this is a movie, like, buckle in and enjoy the ride or something? I don't think it's exactly that. So I will quote part of this Salon.com article. Okay. So it says, in a 2015 interview with Guillermo del Toro, Ethan Cohen describes Walsh's opening monologue, that's Visser's opening monologue, in Blood Simple this way. Emmett's monologue is like, Let me tell you about the real world. And the joke is, it's not exactly the real world, but that's the proposition. And that's that's essentially what I'm arguing for, this movie being self-aware, but maybe people... So he's saying that his monologue doesn't describe the real world. Yeah, but he's... It describes the world of the movie. Yes, and he's asking you at the beginning of the movie to buy into that. Because like I said, when I heard that monologue, I was like, what? Like, I was like, what do you, what do you mean? That's pretty dramatic. I don't know. That seemed normal to me. I always imagine that there's places like that. Sure. There, there could be, but that is not the world. I think that might be the world. Well, this is going to go weirdly with the rest of my next few parts then. Okay. Oh, fuck. Okay. (laughs) So... With that said, though, I was trying maybe needlessly to pull historical like relationships into this movie, oh, which maybe ended up not even making any sense, but making me think about how, how futile that may be at times. Um, so I wanted to bring up like the surrounding cultural context. Mm-hmm. Honestly, when I first heard that opening monologue, I was relating it to the real world. 
and mm. I wanted to I wanted to learn more about why. Um, I knew you know I knew some things about the time when the movie was made, um, but for example, um, in 1980, um, Reagan defeated Carter for president of the mm-hmm. United States, and that was like a big election. That was almost like in a weird sort of way, like Trump's election. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, they call it like a realigning election where the uh, political spectrum kind of shifts one way and oh this way, God. obviously like here and in the UK to the right um, yeah. with Margaret Thatcher. Huh. Um, we went from kind of like the end of the hippie generation sort of with mm-hmm. Carter being kind of this dude running on like, oh, peace. Not that that was the reality of his presidency. Sure. But... um to this like right wing clamp down and like yeah um you know uh clamping down on unions and such and and conservative not clamping down on but instilling or promoting like ultra conservative values sure whether it be socially or monetarily fiscally whatever um so this movie was I guess written around 82 or something. Okay. Um, They didn't get funding for it until sometime in 83, I think. Yeah. And then it finally came out in 84. Is that right? 84? Yeah. It came out in 84. So, I mean, that's kind of the at least the political um, context around this movie. We had a big, like, rightward shift in politics. Um where this kind of every man for themselves kind of mantra makes more sense Mm. to me or whatever. Like this Texas world feels like the world we're starting to live in. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, Reagan went one again um, in 84. Okay. I kind of am tracking with what you're saying because we've talked about this before, but Reagan is, you know, he's notorious for sort of creating the image of what the welfare queen. And I feel like that was the era of like really demonizing um, public services um, and affirmative action and things like uh, really making poor people feel extremely bad about being poor and almost making it a moral failing that they needed to be punished for so you don't deserve handouts so then essentially it is like a it does create an environment of every man for themselves i i think so i i do sort of see what you're saying well it's it's the reagan era is the world is the era of like trickle down economics and stuff like yeah you let people do their thing and get rich and it'll all come down to you. Like let just let people be, make the government tiny, yeah. let businesses tiny. do whatever they want, let them break strikes, you know, let yeah. them pay awful wages. It'll all come back. Every you know, kind of this is like every man for themselves. Yeah. And so yeah, I guess maybe that's why that quote didn't really resonate with me gotcha when he was just like the joke is it's not really like this i'm like wait what 
sure seems like it to me. I mean, I don't think that that's huh. base reality. Yeah. I just think that, <laughs> I don't know. I uh, think that that world totally like fits with reality. Hmm. Maybe. I, I mean, you are making the argument. I, I just, when I heard the quote, I was like, that sounds made up or wrong. Not because I don't think that there is this weird individualistic sort of like ruthless manner to being an American, but something about it didn't ring true or that he was sort of trying to set you up set up your expectations for the movie, I guess. More so than he was speaking to some broader truth that I could sort of relate to in my real life. Yeah. So, that's... No, I mean, and that makes sense. I don't think after reading up on the movie, what they had to say and meanings, etc., that they were necessarily directly at least trying to reference the political atmosphere on oh, any level. No. Yeah. I mean, I honestly don't think they were yeah. were trying to at all. And so him saying that does make sense, but also it just doesn't resonate with me. Like okay. with me, I'm like, "Oh, like this seems believable." Okay. <laughs> so, I don't have much else in the way of cultural context. Um except that this movie is sort of built in the same framework as the classic thriller author James M. Cain. Hmm. Um, and he is the author of a, a lot of books that were turned into movies during like the height of the film noir um, period. So Double Indemnity, which came out in 1944, the Postman Always Rings Twice from 1946 and Mildred Pierce from 1945. Those were the movie, the years that those movies came out, but he wrote all of those books. And there's a long list on Wikipedia of all of the books that he has written that have been turned into movies, which is wild. But I haven't, I have sadly not seen any of those movies. Okay. Why does double indemnity sound familiar? Yeah, right? I think maybe your dad wanted us to watch that Prob once. Oh. I saw it on a lot of the neat, uh, best of film noir lists. Oh. But when I looked at the trailers, it didn't look familiar at all. But I know yeah. I've heard the name. Who's in it? I have no idea. Was it uh, Joan Crawford? I don't know. Okay. Well, I don't know. And... I haven't seen any of those movies, but it might be worth it to add that to our watch list on Letterboxd. Sure, yeah. Just to get a more well-rounded view of everything, because these are apparently sort of in a similar vein. Yeah, and speaking of similar vein, on a very low-key, like, super light note, that intro scene really reminded me of, like some lynchian stuff same i knew what you were gonna the, say the intro scene the highway there was like a highway oh scene later God. on where the, yes. like yes and in the music playing was like yes yes it like i was like dang this is like some david lynch stuff right here yeah. what's going on but years before he would like make that sort of his thing mm -hmm. i mean i know he was making movies at this time but the movies I'm thinking of that those reminded me of. So I specifically was 
thinking of Lost Highway for the highway scene and that sort of droning with paired with the repetitive windshield wiper sound. Mm -hmm. That was so dark and so eerie. And I was like, this is so Lynchian. But the other thing that reminded me of Lynch was um, the fan shots, which I loved. The ceiling fan. The cinematography in this which we will probably talk about is amazing but the fan the ceiling fan shots were like directly reminding me of Twin Peaks Firewalk with me where anytime there's a sort of indication that Bob is like active in the house as her dad or her dad as Bob um there's this really fucked up shot of the fan and it's it's really it's literally a ceiling fan spinning but it's like the most unsettling thing and that was exactly how it felt in this movie i really 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 liked that yeah well you wonder if david lynch was inspired by this movie yeah i mean i think if you watch a lot of movies and then you make movies you probably are inspired maybe even if not consciously sure but i feel like it would be a hard hard sell if he were like i've never seen blood simple like i just that fan shot was like exactly the same i've never seen blood simple (laughs) something like that yes so also in in relation to the cinematography i had read that um, the cinematographer and the the Conus brothers were talking about Vim Vender's The American Friend, um, which I have never seen or heard about. No. But that, that got them on talking about making this movie that they had written a script for and then, you know, pursuing it. So what? it's another one to add to the list. Uh, he's a German filmmaker yeah I, I did watch a trailer for the movie it okay. looked pretty interesting that's all i can really say is about it also it. a thriller yeah it seemed like a mystery crime thriller type thing starring dennis hopper young <gasps> dennis hopper i love dennis hopper so definitely okay for the okay, okay 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 oh my god oh that gives me an idea for our next movie um i will say in terms of other movies visually and aesthetically and pace wise this movie reminds me of paris texas which is a beautiful and heartbreaking movie that you definitely need to see um it reminds me of that because it also takes place in texas and it reminded me of in the heat of the night which we did see with Sidney poitier and he's in that southern town and he's a cop but the town is also racist and they like arrest him at first and then he has to like figure out a mystery of like who murdered somebody okay well are you sure i saw that we have 100 percent seen that movie but it's fine one day we'll watch it again and you'll remember yeah hopefully um but yeah it's just that hot southern slow paced but like people uh searching for people and characters not 
not knowing things and but searching that basically all. film noir but but southern and and hot because <laughs> both of those specifically are southern and hot okay sure so i personally haven't seen many conus brothers movies if you call them the fucking conus brothers what well, i like can't handle it anymore okay okay so <laughs> my god Personally, I haven't seen many Coen Brothers films. Um, I think I've only seen... Actually, no. Surprise, surprise. I've seen one that I didn't know was one of theirs. Okay. I've seen Barton Fink. I've seen Hail Caesar. And I've seen The Lady Killers. (laughs) Or is it just Lady Killers? No, it's The Lady Killers. I've got it. I've got the full list here. What is that about? Tom Hanks. And it's about... These dudes that try to romance women and kill them for their money. And Tom Hanks is one of the lady killers? Yes. Um, I saw this when it was in theaters. I remember almost nothing about it. I don't remember liking it that much, so I can barely say I've seen it. But yeah, this is my extent of Coen Brothers' knowledge, which is kind of depressing. I haven't even seen Fargo. Who hasn't seen Fargo? Yeah, Fargo's really good. Yeah, honestly, I haven't seen that many of their movies either. We watched Barton Fink together. Um, Fargo I have seen, and that is one of my favorite movies. I've seen Burn After Reading, which is fun. A Serious Man, True Grit. Whoa, whoa, whoa. A serious man, didn't I see that? Yeah, I feel like you saw that. That's them? Yeah. They they wrote and directed it? Uh-huh. or Oh, I didn't even see it on the list. That's weird. I've seen that one, too. Okay. True Grit, Inside Lewin Davis, and Hail Caesar are the ones that I've seen. Of those movies that we have seen, can you speak to any like similarities narratively, character-wise, etc.? Yeah, Between I mean, those and Blood Simple. Yeah, I think I already touched on it, but I feel like, as I had said before, there was some kind of feeling of wrongdoing, or I want almost want to say like sin or something, but mm. that just doesn't seem like you know whatever, right? But like in this movie, you've got greed, lust, whatever. Um, in Barton Fink, you've kind of got this, like, bloviating, like, almighty righteousness sort of... I don't know how else mm. to describe that. Like, yeah. a haughty, um, bragging... No, I think I think you've used enough synonyms. <laughs> um, and, uh... get it. Hail Caesar, you kind of have this, um... Almost, like, materialist success. It's, like... Whatever is going on, it doesn't matter. We're just trying to make money, like, just do your job. You know, yeah. like... <laughs> yeah. And, and and make a mockery, or make a commodity out of everything, like the Jesus story. and Yeah, and, and that what? is... that. I feel like that movie was misunderstood a lot, but whatever. But yeah, like, I, the way it ends is sort of perfect, because the guy that is just doing things for money is totally surface level will do whatever to cover up any sort of like sins in order to continue this like weird hollywood business Mm -hmm. as a fixer that he is he is like sort of ironically portrayed as the hero at the end although i feel like 
people didn't get that it was ironic. But that's fine. Oh, yeah. We're not going to talk about that. And so I will say, going along with the hero thing, that seems to be another maybe theme in a lot of their movies is that they're almost always, or I should say, they're almost never is a clear-cut hero in in the most stereotypical sense. There definitely is not one in Blood Simple. Um, but also Barton Fink, like, there really isn't, like, a hero. Like, we, we follow John Turturro's character, but he's not, like, I don't like him. Yeah, he's not a hero on any level. I mean, uh, he's almost like a, not a villain per se, but, like, he's not a likable or... Yeah, you're right. You are correct. Yeah. And Hail Caesar, there are a lot of, like, interesting, entertaining characters. But, again, like, the the Eddie Mannix character, the fixer, he is not a hero. No one should be looking up to him. Um, I feel like if anyone came close, it was Clooney. I mean, but then he just, he's so wishy-washy that it's not really hard to break him out of his... Yeah, maybe it's, maybe he's it's not, not even, even wishy washy. He's stupid. Yeah, he's just doing whatever. Nothing really means anything to him. But anyway, um, the other thing I sort of just stray observations. So they seem to be interested in some class class dichotomies. Um, not hardcore but there is sort of there are some themes of people that are less smart maybe have less money sort of set against people with more money and more means and more privilege and the sort of foibles that come about when desperation or jealousy or greed or just plain stupidity sort of strike so another stray observation i think what makes the coen brothers movies so interesting or fun to watch are all of the constructed coincidences and accidents so we kind of talked about them in blood simple visser you know plans to kill and then does kill marty tries to double cross him take his money and then frame Abby, but he leaves his lighter under the fish so he would be implicated. He also left the picture that he gave Marty of Ray and Abby in bed together, all fake bloody. That was like left in the safe. Well, he didn't leave it there. No. Yeah. Marty was trying to cover his own tracks right. and kept one. Um, and then he leaves and thinks everything is fine. Just everybody having all of the wrong information based on assumptions. I mean, that is the story and it's so entertaining and Mm -hmm. so nerve wracking. Okay. So spoiler alert for Hail Caesar, Burn After Reading and Inside Lewin Davis. If you haven't seen those movies, just skip ahead like mm, a minute and a half. That happens from what I've seen of his other movies, that essentially happens in almost every other movie. For example, in Burn After Reading, Tilda Swinton's character, she is trying to divorce her husband, 
and she talks to her lawyer and she's like the lawyer's like okay you need to make copies of all of his financial information she accidentally copies a transcript of her husband's memoir onto a cd and that transcript is accidentally left at a gym where brad pitt's character picks it up and he assumes that what is on the cd is important government info and so that just like begets all of this chaos based on assumptions Mm -hmm. and wrong information then in hail caesar you have the communist group the communist group the future they go through all this trouble of kidnapping george clooney's character and they even get the ransom that they they asked for but then because of whatever mistakes or coincidence they drop the money in the ocean and then they end up getting arrested anyway so like all of their efforts all of that nonsense was just for naught and it's funny and it's entertaining and that's just one of the things in that movie Mm -hmm. and then inside lewin davis honestly made me the most sad because it's oscar isaac um so he loses a cat and then catches the cat again and then loses it again and then finds a different cat that he thinks is the same cat but it's not and so there's a whole thing about that and then he also repeatedly in the movie goes through some sort of thing to get money that he thinks he needs and then it turns out that he doesn't need the money and then also in the movie he will randomly make a decision like to throw out a box of old things of his that that you know in the future ends up screwing him over because he needed something in that box and now he doesn't have the money to fix it so it's like he doesn't have money when he needs money and he has money when he doesn't need it it's really weird and i like all of those weird constructions and coincidences and i like their movies Let's see. I wanted, I mean, while we were talking about these other movies, I wanted to know how you would rank them. Okay. The Coen Brothers movies. Okay. Um, I don't have a lot to work off of. No, so. you have like four movies to work off of. <laughs> I have eight. At least give me number one and two. And I think Fargo is going to be number one, right? Uh, I'll give you top three. Top yes, five. I'd like the top three, please. Number three, Blood Simple. For those of you f- who forgot, that's the movie that we are reviewing today. Number two, Burn After Reading. I haven't seen that movie in maybe a long time. And number one is Yes, Fargo. Woo! Wow. Also Frances McDormand, right? Yeah, no. she's in all of those movies. Oh, she's also in Burn After Eating. Mm-hmm. From what I remember. What is she in? Is she in um I mean I don't I don't know what's like a big Frances McDormand movie. Uh, That's not one of the Coen Brothers movies. I don't know. She was the last thing I saw her in was that awful movie, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, which that was her. Not a good movie at all. Yikes! Didn't everybody love that movie? Yes. Yikes! 
Okay, moving on. I feel like I shouldn't even bother giving my tops. I'll just say that I like Barton Fink better than any of the other ones I've seen. No, so give me your top three. Um, I can't. I don't. I have like three that I've seen. Well, give them to me. Barton Fink. I said Blood Simple is next. Uh, Hail Caesar. That's one, two, three. Yeah. Okay, so Barton Fink is your number one. Yep. Do you want to know where Barton Fink is on my list of eight? The eight. No. It's number six. I don't know why I don't like that movie, but I. It's a good movie, but I don't like it. Like I don't ever want to see it again. Oh, I'll watch that again. That's fine. And while we're ranking, I'd like to know some of your favorite film noir movies. Okay. Um. Oh, what did I put? (laughs) I haven't seen a lot of film noirs either. This is so unfair. And the ones I've seen. I can barely remember. I've seen Chinatown. I know I liked it. Did you put it on there? No, because I don't remember anything about it. Oh, my God. It. What did you put nothing. on your list? I just remember Jack Nicholson's face. Oh, my God. What did you put? No, you. I asked you first. Jeez. Okay. The first is In a Lonely Place, which is a Humphrey Bogart movie that came out in 1950, and I'm almost positive that you watched it with me. I did. Okay, so you do remember that movie. Yeah. Okay. It's probably on your list. Um, the second movie is another movie that we watched together, Sunset Boulevard. Classic. Wait, what is that? Oh my god. You don't remember like anything. What is that? Who's in that? I don't remember. I don't remember. Is it an old movie? Fuck. It came out the same year as In a Lonely Place. Okay. Nineteen fifty. Well, you just gotta get, remind me because I just... Well, I... Don't, don't remember. Either. Okay, I'm gonna tap some keys. Is Lauren Just... Bacall in it? No, it's starring Gloria Swanson and William Holden. How do you not? That's like that movie that's like, I'm ready for my close up. I never saw that. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I fucking hate. You, Are you, you sure? Definitely saw this movie. If I've seen it, then you have to because I remember watching it Maria. with you. Huh? Are you done? Yeah, I'm done. Okay, so what are you? I haven't seen this movie. Yes, you have. No, okay, what are your movies? Favorite neon noir. You just gave me two. Slash noir. Go. Well, you just gave me two. Look, bruh. The question I asked you was, what is your favorite noir or neo-noir movie you've seen? I listed two, which is technically cheating, because it's really supposed to be fucking well, one. Stop cheating. What is your favorite movie? This cat is looking crazy right now. You're looking crazy. She's just staring at the damn wall. Okay, if you don't answer, I'm taking off my headphones and leaving the well, house. What do you think my number one is? Chinatown. Wrong. I said I remembered nothing about it. In a lonely place. Wrong. Blade Runner. Wrong. That's a. a It came up when I searched. Shit, I I love that movie. It's a great movie. Yeah, well, you fucked up. Guess again. I don't know. Wrong. Connor O'Malley, the Howard (laughs) Schultz tape. Stop. That's not a real noir. What is it? Connor O'Malley, what? The Howard Schultz tapes. What is that? Have I seen that? My boy gets abducted by the Schultz squad oh and beaten God. into being a regular person. I 
if we reference Connor O'Malley in every single, oh my God, this movie still. If we reference him in every single one of our podcast episodes, I don't, I don't want to be alive. Well, okay. What is your real pick? Uh, I don't know. It's a tie between in a lonely place in the Maltese Falcon. Oh, yes. Okay. But I can put Blade Runner in there somewhere yeah. too. I think you should put Blade Runner because I know you like that movie. The OG. Because Harrison Ford is zaddy. Harrison Ford is zaddy, but he's also creepy in that movie. Yeah, he's like that typical, like, I'm a man and I can be forceful and it's cute. Yeah, but it's not. Sorry, Harrison. I was kind of into it, but whatever. (laughs) Well. That's that deep incel theory. Yeah, you better. I'm staying away from this topic. I think we should mention incels and Connor O'Malley in all of our episodes. Sure. And they are related. They are 100% Connor O'Malley told me on the phone yesterday that he is an incel. Okay. Well. Um, okay. Well. Uh, let's get back to yes, Blood let's Simple. let's get back. Yes. I thought, yes, the aesthetics in this movie were fucking fantastic. Yeah. The intense mood lighting in almost all the scenes was great. Oh my god, it was so fucking good. It like I remember sitting there during part of the movie and being like, "God, I hope it's not daytime ever again in this movie." Ooh. Because I literally had that thought. I was like, "I don't want to see another daytime scene." Yeah. This is too good. I'm like on this vibe. Yeah, it was oh, great. It was really good. I, I mean, yeah, this movie's just good. It was shot so well. I For aesthetics, I literally just wrote flies, remote, dry, hot, 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 seedy, lonely. Were there a lot of flies? You don't remember? My homies, the flies, I didn't even notice them. You didn't notice Visser, like, repeatedly having flies on his face, on his sweaty-ass face? <laughs> He's disgusting. In the best way. Yeah, that's true. No, I didn't. I wish there would have been bees, though, because bees are way better than Bees are better, but I feel like then the audience would have been really fucking worried about him. Well, no, nobody cares about him. He's a bad dude. That's true. Maybe a bee could have stung him in the hand. That could have been the end of the movie. (laughs) No, I'm talking about no knife. Beasting, but actually, it's way better if his hand was knifed and then he got slung by a bee on the hand. Yeah, I agree. That You're bee right. was. Yeah, the bee was working overtime at night. Oh man. Yep. That movie that bee was a so feminist. much better. Uh huh. Part of the beehive. Oh. The beehive. We're cutting that. Out. It's gotta be. How do you say it? it's the Beyonce? I'm I'm joking. I don't, is it the Beyonce? I don't listen to her name Beyonce. isn't Beyonce. I nobody. I it's don't Beyonce. care. Beyonce. So anyway, the soundtrack was also beautiful. This the soundtrack was good. Yes, the four top song was good, but also Carter Burwell did the soundtrack, and I guess they collaborate with him. On a lot of their movies, but this was obviously the first time. Um, 
And that theme song that he wrote, like, I was having, like, a reaction, like, every time. Like, the first time it was on, I was like, man, this is just, like, kind of a nice song. It's really simple, but it's kind of nice. Like, it's emotional. But then it would come on again, and I was like, oh, man. It almost had, like, the same effect as, like, the Twin Peaks song, but I don't even remember it. I can't remember it now. Sure, I'll have to listen to it again. I remember liking the oral. Oral? Oral. What are you talking about? Oral. The oral vibes. Oh, God. We're going to get attacked. What would you say? Oral? Avril? A U R A L. Or it's like oral. 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 I really dig the oral vibes. Yeah, that's why nobody says that word. Yeah. Except for me. Clothing. Who gives a shit? Yeah. The clothing no. wasn't great. No. But it, it was fine because it fit. Yeah. This was no hackers. This was no Angelina Jolie and hackers. It's fine. No, I wish. If everybody looked like Angelina Jolie and hackers, this would be my new favorite movie. Okay. So cinematography. Okay. I was reading about the scene where Abby drops from the crime scene onto her bed. Which I oh, barely yeah. noticed happened because I was like, did that just happen? I just, or did I like, did I like have one of those things where my brain shuts off and I fall asleep for five seconds? Oh, really? That was such a good No, I loved that. Cut. It was Man. great. Um, I guess they had um, built some kind of rig so that she was attached to it and they had the bed in the same scene. Oh, and so they just dropped her onto it and yeah. then changed the setting or whatever. Or the you know when she wakes up, they no wakes up, but she's like laying in the bed. Yeah, and it's kind of there's a zoomed out scene. Yeah, and then she's in the room. Right. Um, ah. That was a good scene, and it was Ugh. so weird and out of place. But yeah. it felt it didn't feel that out of place. I no. mean, it, it was. It there weren't any other scenes like it. There no. were quite a few other weird transitions, like flashes of light, and maybe not transitions, but no, there were good transitions yeah. and like cuts. Yeah, like the the lights and the loud noise. Like it was a light paired with like a loud noise. Right, yeah, and then there was like that one scene where somebody's poking something, and then all of a sudden it's Ray poking the bloody seat interior of his car. Oh that was God. a really good scene or cut. Or yeah. whatever. Yeah. I also wrote down that I liked the light and dark play. Like, there were a lot of scenes where a character's face would be, like, perfectly chiaroscuro, like, light on one side of their face, completely dark on the other side. And it was so dramatic, but in, like, the best way. Like, not a cheesy way. It was beautiful. Yeah. The light was insane in this scene i i almost not almost i would like to see more stuff from the cinematographer yeah i don't i will have to look him up because i don't really know i don't follow cinematographers really oh you don't (laughs) a lot of people do i know i'm just kidding okay uh what was your so what was your favorite scene in the movie um that's hard to say honestly but i think my favorite scene is the one where visser comes to marty to get his payment for killing ray and abby 
um, it's just a good scene. Like, you know something is going to happen because, because, because um, Visser is just so slimy. And you can just tell he's nervous. Like you said that while we were watching it, you were like, he's really nervous. And he is. And you know something's going to go down. And Marty has been like stewing in his like anger and hatred and like nervousness about what's going on, what is going on with Abby and Ray and, you know, what he has, you know, put into motion with, you know, he thinks they're going to die because of him. And they're both trying to play it cool and smart and you know something's going to happen. It's just really good. And I was genuinely shocked when he shot Marty. Um, it's just a good scene. And, the, and then the way it ends with literally the camera like coming down to, to show that his lighter is under those fucking fish. I, it's just so good. You're like, you're already like getting clued into the chaos that's about to come about. That's a good scene. What about you? Yeah. Um, I straight up the, I don't know why I like this so much, but I love when uh, Abby wakes up and that damn dog is in their house. Oh, and my like God. that being oh a cue to just, she's like, I don't remember his name. Let's call him Buster. She's like, Buster? Yeah. And then you're just like, oh, shit. Like, it's so, yeah. like, that, the tension. I just I just felt like that was a really good way to, like, sow suspense in the audience. Yeah. Because there's, there's these weird, like, there's a lot of tracking shots in the film that sort of add to the unease. And so you're tracking with Abby, like, following her around the house. She's just doing random stuff. But, yeah, she sees the dog and she, like, knows something is up. Well, no, she she's co- totally confused, and like we're confused, and then yes. it's so surprising. She doesn't know. Okay, like she, she she okay on some level maybe she knows something's up, but it's so it's so quick and like yeah, I that's mean, the part that I like about it. I don't think she thinks she's going to get attacked, but she knows that like why this dog is not supposed to be here. Right. So she's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. hey, what she's are like, you doing? This is but weird. She doesn't obviously have the enough time to like put things together oh that's that that scene was pretty freaky and i liked that it took place during the day like it's shadowy in the house but then he takes her outside and it's broad daylight i i like that that some of the horror happens like in the daytime in light and in darkness yeah i had one other scene on here too which was when ray is trying to bury Marty and Marty is trying to shoot him with that gun. Oh my god! Oh that no, was, no, no! That was so suspenseful because oh, we're like, I'm pretty sure there's one more bullet in that gun, yeah. and that scene takes so oh, long. I forgot about that. He just that. keeps pulling the trigger, and Ray is like slowly reaching towards oh, the gun to take it away. God. And you just think Ray's gonna get blasted. Oh my god! Yeah, that yeah. Was so I was. Good. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, I was literally like, no, 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 no. Like, yeah. Oh, God. Man. All the actors were pretty good. Yeah. I mean, are fine. But M- Emmett Walsh was definitely the best. I agree. Yeah, I mean, he was like standout. Yeah. He totally eats up every scene that he's in. Yeah. 
interesting tidbit about him. Uh, I read somewhere, I don't remember where, but he insisted that the Coen brothers pay him in cash. And so they would pay him like for however much time times work. And he would put the cash on his person, like in his shirt or whatever, and keep it on him at all times, like including while they were filming. And so the scene where he takes, like the first scene where he gets paid by Marty and he puts the money like in his shirt, like that was also something that the real life guy did, which is so weird. Like, I don't know anything about that man, but. Yeah, that's pretty that bizarre. It was just really interesting to me. That's some old people shit, though. I don't hiding, know. Hiding cash and and like maybe mattresses and stuff. Maybe I don't. Yeah, but why? Cause the something's gonna go wrong. Ugh. The Ruskies are gonna kill us. Or... Yeah, he was talking about them Russians. Yeah, no, he was great. I thought he had. He was able to play amazingly between like lightheartedness and then being afraid or fearful and then having also having a really imposing or domineering presence or scary presence. Oh, like, yeah. He was able to like play all of that in that character, which I thought was crazy. He was. Yeah, he was great. I mean, he really pulls the movie together. I mean, everybody else is kind of whatever. I mean, um, what's his name? Um. Dan Hedaya is also really scary. Is that Marty? Yeah. He's great. Yeah. He's great, too. I mean, um, Ray could have been pretty much anybody. I agree. Um, Um, And this is Frances McDormand's first movie. um, And it's pretty great because I don't think they necessarily made Abby a very, like, interesting or dynamic character. But I, when Frances is on screen, it's hard for me to look away she's definitely more alluring than the ray actor. oh yeah she's very like sympathetic she's got yeah. like a very like i don't know friendly or, or like some you just feel like you want her to be safe yeah for some reason she that makes feels, any sense yeah she feels the most human yeah sure i was just gonna say um the writing is really smart. Like, it lets you know who the characters are pretty quickly. Like, Ray is sort of about his money. Marty is a really cruel sort of taskmaster. And Visser is, he feels like a wild card. Like, him literally, like, laughing at being, having, having Marty threaten his life he like laughs at him and is like you know let me know when you cut my head off i'll i'll still be moving or something right he has that weird line yeah he's like i'll still be able to slither around without it or something yeah and i feel like that just that little bit of dialogue gives you so much about this character just that laugh is really unsettling and he even laughs when he gets shot dead yeah i mean because she's like i'm not afraid of you anymore marty and he's like well i'm not marty that's pretty funny and he's like he didn't say that but he's like i'll I'll make sure to tell him if i see him yeah that's how he dies 
that oh man yeah i i think the screenplay is really tight and is great and you you get the sense pretty early on that ray is a pretty cowardly guy yeah and i don't and maurice is sort of straightforward like you really get you get that pretty early on because uh marty comes up to him and marty's an asshole and we've already seen that he doesn't like coloreds and yet maurice is just like unfazed he's like i'm gonna fucking take this dude's quarter i'm gonna play the song i want to play i'm gonna dance on the countertop i'm just here working i feel like you get everybody's sort of vibe like in the first 15 minutes of this movie it's it's a really good really good writing I think that's about it. Do you have anything else? Yeah, I don't. Oh. I feel like no. I'm just saying. I I agree. I think we've covered the plot enough. I know we didn't go over it like scene by scene, but yeah. God, no, that'd be if, awful. Why yeah. would we do that? You've seen the movie. You know what we're talking about. <laughs> and if you haven't seen the movie, you must like to just listen to spoilers. Or if you haven't seen the movie, I don't know why you're listening to this. You're here for the connor o'malley reference that's true and that is good okay so it was a good movie i would watch again i would recommend to other people uh and i ended up giving it i think shit what did i give it i think i give it three and a half stars no no i I give the Joker five stars sorry you did not give Joker five stars oh, yeah. no, I didn't. fuck you <laughs> Uh, let's see what the hell how do i see my movies go to your activity you bum why is space jam the last movie i've watched because you haven't been doing it i know i've been clicking log like you taught me go to your menu and click on activity i have to go to me yeah okay so i give this movie four stars wow damn okay i was thinking you know three of three is above average for mm-hmm. me, three point five is three point five is a good movie, and four is like better than good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I so get that. So that's where it aligned for me. It's a four star movie. It was pretty good. It was a pretty damn good movie. It is a really good movie. Given that, so I would also recommend this movie. I think it's a must see if you're a Coen Brothers fan, and if you like thrillers, this is a definite must see. Um, do not watch this if you don't like being anxious for the majority of a movie. Uh, for some reason, I, I just didn't love it, but I'm still acknowledging that it was sort of brilliant and it was a beautiful movie and that people should watch it. So with that, I'm going to give it three and a half stars because I can't articulate at this moment after a first watch why I didn't love it love it but the movie is really good like it's really good yeah you didn't have to love it love it i mean four isn't love it for me four is pretty high for 4.5 is like i really like that movie five i'm like wow i love this movie and it was damn near flawless yeah or there was something that brought me over the like it didn't have to be flawless because there was something about it that was just like really good. Yeah. I think for me, I have to have, it has to be good and I have to have an emotional reaction. 
And I think the emotional reaction was missing from, not like out and out emotional, but I just don't feel that connected to this movie. Sure. So that's that's what's missing. That's why it didn't get four stars. Um. Anyway, that's it. So that's a wrap. Yes, that is our review of Blood Simple, with many caveats and ramblings and Connor O'Malley references. Okay, so on that note, what is one thing you've been watching or reading or whatever that you would recommend? Uh, I've been listening to the Higher Brothers a lot. Okay, who are the Higher Brothers? They're a Chinese hip-hop group. They're really big now. They had their first American tour recently. Wait, really? Are we going to go see them? No, it happened. Okay, so Higher Brothers, they just came out with a new album, right? No. What were you listening to then? That was 88 Rising. Oh my god, okay. Idiot. Yeah, 88 88 Rising. I'm an idiot. Um, Which is like their label or whatever. Oh. Um, I mean, they do have a new-ish, newer-ish album out called Five Stars, like the Chinese flag. Uh, um, yeah. I mean, they're whatever. They're they're fun. Okay. Good so. beats. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I also have been listening to things. I really like the Zebras in America podcast. Um, I've been trying to go through their archive. Uh, and reading through one of the co-hosts, Marcus Pins blog he writes about fin- film on pinland empire which is p-i-n-n-l-a-n-d empire um he is obviously a big david lynch fan um they're both into david lynch and they're also into like rap that i've never heard of and i just like the way that they talk about film and i would definitely recommend it for people who like film, like film analysis, and don't necessarily feel like they have typical taste in film. And they just had their 100th episode recently. But yeah, that's Zebras in America podcast. Word. And that'll be in the show notes. What's a zebra? Just a zebra? Yeah, zebra. Why are they in America? I don't know. I think it's a reference to something, like probably a rap album. Like, I don't know. But. Cool. Anyway, okay. Until next time. This has been. The Parallax Review. Yeah. In case we don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. (laughs) Okay. All right. And we're out. Bye.